0: There's been a lot of work on this recently, and I'm just highlighting here a couple of special issues in long-range planning, and recently in organization studies, um, edited by uh, Violetta Splitter and colleagues, plus four books, some of them produced by members of this panel. Um, So there's a lot of work going on in open strategy. You might very well ask, what on earth this open strategy is? So let me just offer as a foundation this definition of open strategy. It's this dynamic bundle of practices affording internal and external actors both strategic transparency and or or inclusion. The way I like to think about it is open windows so people can see, see into the strategy process and open doors so people can enter, join, in the strategy process. Something that a lot of people are doing now, and i just give some organizational examples, ranging from Barclays Bank through to the United States Navy. It's a common phenomenon and spreading, partly driven by technology, but also driven by changing cultural norms. Okay, so open strategies is about uh, as a big phenomenon. We have a fam- fabulous panel of people who are researching on this: Martin fiesel Julia House, David Seidel, Ana Ovira, and we have as well Anne Madrak, who will be talking in this today. Although <coughs> she's done research, which is very relevant to this topic of open strategy, she will be in the role of commentator. I will be acting as chair moderator, trying to keep people to time and keeping an eye out on the chat. Please do use the chat um, to pose questions. We will have some moments after each presentation for a little bit of conversation, Q and A, but the chat is often going to be the most um, uh, responsive Mm -hmm. way of managing a continuous dialogue through the um, session. Okay, so welcome again. Many thanks to our distinguished panelists. And I think what I should do now is hand over to Martin Fiesel, who will be the first of our our speakers talking about one word at a time, his research on one word at a
1: time. So I'm stopping sharing, I'm putting Martin on now. Martin, we're seeing, can you make it full screen? Yeah, super.
2: So hello everybody. Uh Thanks, first and foremost, for the invitation to speak this evening. Um, This is a joint project with um, Anna Plotnikova at Amsterdam and my colleague Christoph here in Bamberg. Uh, It's part of a a wider group of papers, wide group of studies on participation and role dynamics in organizations. So the paper is currently under review. Uh, We are revising it as we speak, and it's called Performing Micro-Role Transitions. Uh, Let me quickly motivate the paper a bit. Um, Richard, you've already started to talk about open strategy, what it is. So I would like to talk a bit about the promise, the condition, and the challenge uh, of this particular organization phenomenon. The promise is some improvement to strategy making by infusing strategy work with variety and there seems to be a fundamental condition for that to work and that it almost sounds naive but i think it's rather crucial uh it requires participation it re- requires an episodic maybe time constraint um participation meaning that people step out of their day job to participate and here comes the challenge in order to have impact, in order to influence, they have to be accepted. They have to make a meaningful strategic contribution as a strategist. So the the theoretical angle that we're using in this paper is a role-theoretic approach. I think not something that is um, or has been so in fashion for uh, it recently. But we believe that this actually has the promise to illuminate some of the dynamics that are going on. So roles as a set of expectations that other people in the organization have towards a particular set of individuals. And in this case, it would be the role of the strategist. Now in open strategy, of course, People participate episodically. This might be for a duration of days, weeks, or months. So they are stepping in and out of different uh, different roles. Uh, so we are drawing on Ashforth's notion of uh, role transitions that helps to capture this, um, uh, this partial disengagement from the day job and the engagement with a new role. Um, so we are asking, how do how do these non-strategists actually enact or transition into a strategist role? And how does this enactment actually accept the acceptance of this role performance by role others? The data set that we have is a bit of an unusual one, or maybe a special case of open strategy because it's in a virtual setting. Um, the company is a large telecommunications company, and they set up, an online forum. They called it an open strategy community in order to draw on the, on the wisdom of their thousands of uh, employees. Overall, 505 people did participate um, at, to various degrees. And uh, we selected 22 because we made a cutoff point of 20 contributions in order to have a meaningful body of work. So just to be clear, participation in this case means people writing text, or sending pictures, or posting documents, PowerPoint documents, or commenting in an online forum. In addition to that, we also collected uh, interviews with participants on the forum and interviews with professional strategists about their reaction uh, to the contribution uh, in this forum. So let me quickly talk about two main findings. So the first finding has, the first finding is how did did people enact this role? There is a fundamental tension here. One is that they have to leave behind their day job and they have to create the, the space for themselves or legitimize it to themselves that it's okay to do something over and above their day job. So they have to distance themselves. At the same time, they need to be seen as legitimate by these others. So they have to display competence um, and expertise. So there's role distancing and role extension at play through which they furnish kind of the strategist's role. And they do that uh, via three, what we call discursive tactics. They are creating distance by idealizing, by portraying a fairly moralized uh, picture of what strategy, might be or could be. So, for instance, Richard in our sample writes, will we evolve into the next societal stage where everyone is empowered and free? Question mark. At the same time, they are extending their role or they're displaying competence, for instance, by Richard said justifying But Miles and Snow struggled with the prospector type. I found that quite funny, that they, on the forum, drawing on classic strategy texts, so justifying what they're saying and also self-assuring themselves that they can do it. So I created a workshop I borrowed from various fields. So here I was, nervous but prepared, ready and anxious to start. So reflecting on that, that they, they themselves being uncertain what it is that they are supposed to do. Here I am, nervous but prepared, ready and anxious to start. And then people are reacting to that. So as they perform these discursive tactics, idealizing, self-assuring themselves, justifying their action to others, they are enacting this role. And this brings me to my second finding, which is that this role distance is not just in relationship to their functional role, but increasingly they also display role distance to what is portrayed as the formal strategist's role at telco, which in the eyes of the participants has a too strong commercial focus, is too driven by financial gain, and not so much on these larger challenges in society. And this um, this became an issue because this strong idealization was critically perceived by professional strategists to such an extent that they considered the contributions made as either irrelevant or partly disconnected to the issues that the company was facing. So what does this, um, what are the conclusion, what's the relevance, what's the interesting part of that? So we believe two things. The first one is the participation in, in open strategy. And, and here we have an extreme form unfolds as a process of micro role transitions that are enacted through discursive tactics. And the second one, probably even more crucial, that open strategy might suffer from an echo chamber challenge. We have um, a complex set of role others, people that are reacting to people's performances in open strategy. And depending on which of those role others become quite dominant in sort of providing positive feedback, They are stimulating certain types of performances. In this case, idealized versions uh, of contributions became lots of applause, maybe too much applause, um, twisting or tilting the discussion in a certain angle. It was then perceived as too idealistic and not relevant for strategy. So what what would that mean for future research? One, there's a boundary condition, of course, in what we are saying. Because we have a, out of 505 people, out of 30,000 employees, maybe 505 have participated and 20 were really active. So there is definitely a selection issue here because certain people chose to become involved. Uh, So what does that mean? Why did they get involved? So we believe that this um, dynamic around self-selection and the choices that people make based on their own uh, aspirations and values and beliefs uh, about the future could be a very fruitful next step to have a to enrich our understanding of open strategy. And uh, Christoph and Leonhard Tobusch and myself, we're currently working on a paper where we try to address this point. And with that, I would like to conclude. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Martin. Great job, nicely done on time. And that allows anybody to raise a hand and and pose a question Um, so and also you can ask questions and already there's a good uh, set of dialogues going on in the chat so with some really tough question from Callum um, a really big question there that I hope other people will join and uh, respond
1: to but question to Martin first who would like to start we've got a few minutes two or three minutes Or are you all shy? You're all um, shy. Yeah, I can, I can ask a question.
3: Thank you, Martin. I, hello. It's a fascinating study, so thank you so much. Um, I was wondering about this um, concept of role extension. Is it that, uh, so how do participants link their functional role to a strategist role? Um, so maybe you... Could you explain that? Uh, so, so most m- most
2: m- most of most of the 22 participants that we've coded for the paper, uh, they had a technical role. They might be a satellite engineer, there might be some electrical engineer, a, a physicist, a computer engineer. So they they were extending their expertise into the open strategy forum by drawing on, for instance, projects that they worked on or a particular technical expertise that they then framed as a as something of future relevance, for instance, for the company, as something that might help to solve a problem. So they, that, that's what we largely code as role extension.
1: Mm-hmm. That's it. Thank you.
0: Anyone else want to raise a digital hand or continue the dialogue with Martin via the chat? Jeffrey, quick one.
1: Yes, uh, real quick. Uh, as a strategist,
4: how do we define
5: who makes the uh, original strategists that are uh, asking for participation? And those strategists, as you say, could be engineers or scientists who are using strategies in their work daily. So, how do we overcome that barrier of just applying the word strategist to somebody without um, ruining the study by um just uh you know labeling somebody a strategist for with uh, yeah. really no definition.
2: Yeah thank you may, may I take that one? Um, I think it's a good question and it, it cuts to the heart of the of the debate uh and the why debate in strategist practice I think. I think uh for us we try to address this problem by differentiating between strategies something as, as an outcome maybe and something that is is a formally granted task to certain people. So in our study, we've excluded those actors who had a corporate development or strategy function as it was perceived in this organization. Um, So somebody merges an acquisition, somebody in corporate development, uh, for instance. But interestingly, so people, as they entered the open strategy space, so to speak, not all of them, but some of them, changed their LinkedIn profile and included as a role title, strategist. That is interesting. That is interesting because it, it speaks to how they perceive it, that being part of this online community makes them, a strategist, whether we would acknowledge that for externally or not, is almost irrelevant because they themselves are perce- perceive it that they are on the way, to becoming strategists. And in interviews, they voiced their, for instance, disappointment that they didn't fully get there and that they were not accepted in this role. But on LinkedIn, some of them um, changed their job title.
0: And with it, they were changing their identities. Hmm. Martin, that's a really fascinating insight. I would like to move on now. Um, We're 84 people. It's quite important to keep your... Uh, Mics off if you can, whilst you're not actually speaking. Um, but please, David, I know you raised your hand a moment ago, we're maybe 85 now. Um, David, do use the chat to raise questions. The chat is a great place for a continuous dialogue. Okay,
1: so Martin, great stuff. Thank you very much. Can I hand you over to Julia now, please? yes hello can you hear me
6: perfect okay so thank you hello everybody thank you richard for this invitation thank you for um having me with this paper today it's a paper that i have done together with thomas oldner one of my phd students and i have to add in contrast to Martin's study it's a very early stage work it's work in progress and it's one i would say pilot study and should be a series of uh, several experiments that we intend to do. And that was just the first study for us to get some um some sense of what's going on here, so to say. So happy um, for any comments and feedback. And I'll jump over the next um slide already, as Richard has given us this definition already, and move on um to let's say um why we did this study we had in the chat the question what is what is um what are open research questions in the field of open strategy and i would say there are many many questions we still need to know more about what drives organizations to open up what might be reasons what might be drivers um there has been a lot of um research going on in terms of conceptualizing open strategy get a better understanding about the phenomenon itself it's two dimensions several sub dimensions and practices that can be uh, applied in right. this study. We are specifically focusing on the practices of inclusion again, as in the first study. So collecting input and ideas from from actors outside of traditional uh, top management teams and strategy roles. And um, there is still, I would say, a need to get a little bit more insight into Um, into uh, empirically uh, verified relationships between the outcomes, several different types of outcomes and consequences of openness have been suggested in terms of greater diversity of perspectives, heterogeneity, greater creativity Um, and also, and this is the context of this study, outcomes related to implementation of strategy and several factors that are related. So in terms of this study, we were specifically interested in how increased inclusion of individuals in the strategy process through collecting the ideas has an impact and impacts uh, factors related to implementation. So just very quickly in the research model that we investigated, Um, We, as we said, we wanted to look at increased um, uh, or better implementation, and therefore we know for implementation we need, or any strategy is ineffective without the people realizing and putting the strategy into practice, and you need the commitment of the people. So one important aspect is to gain strategic commitment, which is defined as... um, um, the more than just a positive um, attachment or uh, um, uh, positive attitude, let's say towards strategy, it's really um, creating the willingness of individuals to exert, engage in this extra effort of becoming active and engaging into this behavior that is needed, this coordination behavior and cooperation behavior within firms to realize strategy and put it into practice. And we assume that to increase inclusion, um, having actors included in the process beforehand by asking them for their input, their ideas, their suggestions, improves commitment. However, we also argue that in order to commit to something, you need to understand strategy firsthand, because we often see that implementation failures are linked to low levels of understanding. And even in organizations where strategy is communicated very often openly in this one-way direction from management towards employees, you see that the strategic understanding is quite low in the sense of employees are not able to identify strategic priorities out of, of a range of um, possibilities and so on. So we again assume that by involving employees throughout the strategy process up front, you can increase strategy understanding and finally we also suggest that psychological ownership plays a role here in the sense of you need um, more than just understanding you need dedication to strategy you need a psychological attachment um that is a problem today we often talk about uh this quiet quitting and people do not feel attached to the work and work on psychological ownership has shown that um if people feel attached to certain or feel this ownership uh, to some aspects of their work, they are much more willing to act in favor of this aspect. Um, so we also suggest here that psychological ownership is um, is relevant. However, and that's very important in this context. We did not look at the fact if individuals are included or not, but based on. Prior research, we distinguish between different levels of participation, and we um, here adopt the notion that there is lower level participation in the sense of um, individuals are just sharing their knowledge in one way direction, or you have deeper level inclusion or stronger level inclusion in the sense individuals can interact and share knowledge and build over time even an interacting community uh, community through sharing. So we consider this. Um, um distinction and then we also consider that there might be also negative potential effects related to inclusion and we refer to the dilemmas of openness that have been specified and here specifically to the dilemma of commitment where we say if you include people you might or individuals you might raise certain expectations in terms of Um, what happens um, with their contributions, the value, how their contributions are acknowledged, and if those expectations are not met, this might reduce the positive outcomes of inclusion. So, when looking at our research model, we distinguish not between inclusion or not, but those levels of inclusion and um if contributions of individuals are considered or not later on in the process, and as you might see from this research model, we um tested our hypothesis in a quantitative way by adopting an experimental research design, which I want just very, very deeply give you brief insights on what we did um, um, we we um, set up um, an experimental research design because we thought it first gives us, it has all those concerns about external validity as it was a lab experiment, but it gives us the opportunity to really focus on those cause-effect relationships at a very micro-individual level, accounting for this potential endogeneity that might be inherent in, in those different concepts. Um, we adopted uh, a student sample and we know Everything about all the limitations related to it. Um it might be accepted in the sense that we are looking at a general relationship by involvement in a task, you increase understanding in a task, which it's not necessarily so much dependent on, on the function behind. So, what did we do? We presented students a fictive case and said, Okay, you have you are an employee of a German car manufacturer that is facing many, many problems and challenges at the moment. And the top management team writes you the message, we need your help, please participate in this online initiative and tell us where should the future strategy of the organization go? What should we do? Give us your your input. And then the students could submit the ideas which were very long. They were uh, on average, I think they took 30 minutes and wrote very long descriptions about strategies and future directions. What and then they could submit them and got feedback on what they submitted. We manipulated those two dimensions that I mentioned that of involvement and consideration of ideas. So, two groups could just submit their ideas, while the other two groups could also comment and see the submissions of the others and give feedback. And on the other hand, um two groups received the feedback then great. based on your feedback we now adopted this strategy that you suggested well the others got okay um top management team just decided on this strategy without any reference or thank you to the to the ideas that were submitted um we were not quite happy with the inclusion manipulation so we conducted several manipulation checks in a sample independent from our final sample Um, which gave us a little bit more confidence in in that we are really manipulating and measuring what we intend to do, but still we would have preferred that people can really interact over a longer period of time on this platform. So just very quickly, uh, we then uh, gave the uh, participant course um, uh, online survey and captured um strategy understanding strategy commitment and um, psychological ownership based on established scales and did all the factor analysis and regression analysis and just very quickly to sum up what we found we couldn't find any effect of death of involvement on a, any outcome so no significant effect however there was a big significant positive effect of whether the ideas were considered or not. In terms of mediators that we looked at, we didn't find that strategic understanding was a mediator in this relationship, but psychological ownership was significantly mediating this relationship. So, um, those were the main findings in a nutshell. And to just very briefly um, talk about the conclusions, as I've said, It's a very first pilot study. It has all its limitations in terms of this fictive case. Um, But at least it gives some indication that depth of involvement might not be necessarily as important. Now it might be in the next study, uh, study, might be more interesting to look at involvement or not at all to see if that makes a difference. And if involvement is kind of a basic requirement. Um, for us, it was very interesting to see that psychological ownership is something in a strategy context that is very relevant and that has not necessarily been studied so much in context with a strategy, but other aspects of organizations. Um, and of course, we we see it as a starting point for additional um, studies. So we are currently setting up um, studies with organizations that have run um, open strategy initiatives and are involving their employees in different ways and different levels. And we are currently setting up the the service in order to capture our aspects and relationships also in this um, field field setting and to move beyond this artificial um, lab setting of this first study. Yes, that was it in a very quick. Uh, Thank quick. you very much, Julia.
0: There was a lot in that. Wonderful job. Thank you. Um, I think we do have a few minutes uh, for questions. I noticed there's quite a lot going on on the chat. So again, you can dive in. A persistent theme that Mislav and Michael and others are raising is, what do we count as strategic? Um, People are very much encouraged to throw in their views on that. But in the meantime, um, raise your hands if you want to put a question verbally to Julia, or you can pick it up in the chat otherwise. Any hands raised
1: please, who would like to pose a question to Julia? Hello Julia again.
3: Ruben. Yes, uh, thank you. First I was amazed seeing um, experimental work in this area. I was not aware that people um, are also doing that, so first uh, interesting observation. I just have a clarification question about the manipulation of idea selection. So I can just imagine from reality that the way this is framed often makes a big difference right in both cases so i just was thinking about how to manipulate that that so kind of what kind of information these students get kind of how did you how did you frame that
6: yeah in terms of idea selection we were we first wanted to um before that we didn't really raise any expectations in terms of what will happen with their with their um contributions so we didn't let's say, have a lot of uh, procedural transparency, we didn't tell them, okay, that's how you are, there will be an evaluation process or something will, will happen. So we completely tried to not influence the expectations that they were having. And then they really got different statements. Like I said, two groups, they got the statement um, after submitting, um their ideas they said okay some time has passed now the top management is announcing and then they got thank you two groups got thank you based on your suggestions we are now following your suggestions and have incorporated your suggestions into our future strategy that we are now announcing and it was great work and while the others got um, so the other two groups really got nothing. They got like, okay, today top management is announcing the strategy. Um, and the strategy had nothing to do with what they had suggested in their in their um, proposal. So they got nothing. They got no thank you, no no, no answer, nothing. Um, so they really got um, absolutely no um, consideration or acknowledgement. Um, and we on purpose did this. Um, we, could, we also did some interviews afterwards with the participants, and you could see, even in this artificial setting, participants were really emotional and really had negative consequences in, in terms of uh, being um, negatively affected. They said, I just spent 30 minutes, and they didn't tell me what happened, and it was even very effective. And Now, that's what's happening in organizations, often in those crowdsourcing initiatives that people are submitting, and then they don't hear back from what's happening. And that's why, why we came up with this inc- extreme manipulation
3: here. Uh, thank you very much. Just a quick reaction to that. So yeah. one thing that I was very interested in in your future research is exactly, so from an organizational perspective, that's ha- what's, what's happening quite often, right? So yes. what I would be super interested in is, so what can you now do to kind of weaken that negative effect? So that would yeah. make uh, and, things quite and- interesting.
6: That's a good question, and we are exactly thinking into this direction in terms of having different levels of acknowledgement, because having the idea considered is something that won't happen so often with many, but let's say have different levels in terms of having it acknowledged through, through getting a thank you note or being being considered through, through different kinds of acknowledgement, getting a statement from the CEO, getting an, an invitation, I don't know, any kind of acknowledgement that you can have. And we assume that only, only a low level of acknowledgement and con- consideration might be able to cancel out those negative effects. So it's not necessarily the case that you need to have your ideas selected to have these positive consequences.
0: Good discussion, Reuben and Julia. Um, you can continue, of course, via chat. There are lots of questions on chat. Keep the dialogue going. Thank you, Julia, very much. Excellent job. Thank you. So I think we
1: had better hand over to David now if, if we if I may.
3: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, so I'll continue with a study. I assume you can see my slides. Richard, oh, you can. Okay, yes, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm talking about a study where we followed a participatory strategy process from a sense making perspective. As you're probably all aware, um, there's a large literature that looks at strategy making as a sense making process. So when people develop um, When people develop uh, a new strategic plan, they make sense of strategic issues, they make sense of their uh, um, competitive environment, they make sense of uh, their own resources, to what extent they are strategic, and so on. They make sense of competitive uh, advantages, and so on. Uh, Technically, that means they have certain issues that they interpret and make sense of by applying suitable uh, frames frames uh, uh, being knowledge frames, interpretive schemas. Now, when we move into open strategy, into participatory strategy making, we're dealing with a wider range of actors with a wider range of framing repertoires. So if you think of employees, involvement of employees, the employees come in with their particular frames. They often lack uh, strategic frames uh, that sort of the traditional strategies have. So, based on that, we had a very open uh, empirical question. ¿Cuántos Mónica? Oh, uh, we had a, 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 a empirical open empirical question. How does sense making unfold in participatory strategy processes? Mm-hmm. And, um, I think some people have still their microphones okay. on maybe yeah and uh, so uh, we looked at um, an international large international firm that introduced a participatory strategy process and uh, they decided uh, to open up the process invite all employees to apply to be part of this uh, strategy development uh, to develop the new strategic plan and from all the applications they selected 20 employees which they thought sort of represented sort of the diversity of the organization, the different parts of the organization. But it was a group that was small enough so that you could still work with them. And so they set up uh, workshops and meetings with these employees and the traditional strategists, as well as some workshops that were only for the traditional strategists. So we looked at sort of the sense-making process that was going on. And we uh, had more or less four findings here, four insights one is uh, in an open strategy process you have a dual sense making process in contrast to what the literature has written about sort of traditional strategy processes you don't only have the sense making about the strategy content in terms of um, sort of uh, uh, making sense of our strategic environment of the strategic options about the uh, um, our resources and so on but also a sense making process about the strategy process What does participation really mean? How do you really uh, participate in a meaningful way? When do you participate? When do you not participate? What are signs of participation and not? And these are two two processes, and particularly the second process, making sense of participation. We could see uh, several sort of sense-making episodes started. Uh, Starting throughout this process. So, for example, the the top management team at the beginning already said, uh, we need to get some clarity around what we are looking uh, for from the employees. What are they supposed to do? What what does it mean? Uh, And and this has important implications understanding because that sort of, um, has implications uh, for how we select people and also the employees um as a consultant said about the employees the employees were also puzzled there's a group of 20 people who have high expectations as to the role in something but they don't not quite sure what that role is and what that something is so there was also sense making around sort of participatory strategy making so that's the first uh, finding second is uh, related to that these two sense making processes uh, are interrelated they have effects on each other so what we saw is sort of when uh, people started uh, uh, started uh, making sense of the strategy content. They did uh, strategic analyses. They uh, used uh, they they involved different people in that. They shared uh, information in particular ways and so on. And that produced cues, produced issues that triggered a sense making pro- episode around. Uh, In what sense is this participation? Do we really participate? We don't have this information, does it mean we are not participating? Or can we participate even without all the information? Or are we participating also if uh, when we are not involved in everything and so on? So this triggered sort of sense making around the process. And here sort of um, from an interview with an employee in the middle of the process, uh, was like i'm not sure about uh, our participation so far if i look at what we have been doing so far uh, it's not clear in what sense this is participation i think the key to solidify our contribution is what happens as a result of it so what he's saying here is sort of participation means having an impact on the final outcome on the result Um uh, you're almost saying something as an employee and then you don't know what's happening with that information that you're um- so, in what sense is this participation if it's not ending up somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah? And uh, this was problematic because such sense making processes around the uh, participatory process also paralyzed the strategy process as such, the sense making on strategy content. Yeah. And here, a a, a quote from an employee who said, um, the employees are not able to concentrate on the strategy workshops, the actual working out the strategic plan without that sort of, what do you expect from me here? What am I supposed to do here? And I think that's making certain people feel insecure about what they are doing and they are not comfortable with that. And I think uh, when you are not comfortable, then some of the people are kind of more questioning about sort of what are we really doing here? What are we supposed to do here? So this sense making around this participatory process is paralyzing the the actual development of the strategic plan. In a sense, uh, uh, um, uh, paralyzing the sense making around the strategy content. So because of that, and that's the third finding is uh, the, 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 the two sense making processes have to be actively managed managed in a way that the sense making around participation doesn't block the sense making around the content and, in particular, there's also the risk that the employees might develop their own sense their own understanding of what participation means yeah and they might interpret the participatory strategy process as a facade yeah Uh, that means applying uh, the, the pretended participation frame so they make sense of what's going on as okay this is pa- a pretended participation yeah and here a quote uh, from a from a consulting t- a consultant involved in the process talking about this uh, risk he said i guess with an employee group like that you can very quickly switch from it being a really useful thing to quite a dangerous thing they the employees become messengers of oh it was all just a ruse yeah so uh, they might interpret this process as just uh, Facade and not real. And uh, what we saw here is that uh, sort of uh, uh, that was in our case sort of in the middle of the process that the the, uh, traditional strategists, uh, the top managers, became quite nervous about uh, that. And um, the employees might interpret this process in a, a negative way, and they tried sort of to influence their sense making around the process. Yeah? They uh, tried to influence by sort of displacing um, troubling cues that did not look like uh, uh, participation, so they moved on to other actions um, um, uh, distracting from those actions that did not look participatory. Uh, they tried to change the action so that they fitted the frame participation frame, and they also—that's interesting—they started working on the participation frame. What does participation really mean? Well, participation does not only mean having an impact on the outcome of the strategic plan, but it could also ha- uh, mean having a cultural impact. That's how they uh, talked about it. So now my last slide here, a last finding, um, partly based on the other findings, uh, the understanding of participatory strategy, of this participatory strategy process thickened over time. They didn't know about, at the beginning, they had sort of very thin superficial frames and understandings of what participation means and participatory process means, but over time, uh, they got a, a thicker and more com- comprehensive and more sophisticated understanding. And here, a quote from a top management team member at the end of the process, reflecting back on the process, uh, said, At the beginning of the entire process, I wasn't entirely clear on what the purpose of employee participation would be. I don't think we knew uh, because we'd never run a process like that before. The employee group. Has been successful in the end, in a way, because they had a huge, a huge cultural impact. I mean, that was a later understanding. Participation means having a cultural impact, whatever that means. Yeah, I wish we would have been a more, a bit more realistic early on about what the employee groups' role is. I don't think we quite know. Uh, we, uh, I don't think we quite knew how to go about running this inclusive process. So we just began, and then the understanding just developed over time. And um, yeah, these are the four insights and uh, I'll just close uh, with the overview of these uh, four findings or four insights and I'm happy to take questions.
0: Thank you so much, David. It's emerging as a more complex thing than one might originally have thought. So that's great. Um, Hands up anybody who wants to contribute or there's a lots of dialogue going on on the chat as well. Who would like to kick off? We only have a little time but uh, I think we've got certainly time for one um question here.
1: Hands up, anybody? I'll give you another moment. Or well, as the auctioneers say,
0: it's going I, going. I
7: could I could I could ask a really quick oh, question. Okay. Oh, okay. No, Martin's I know, got I'm... one too, but oh, go ahead. I know I'm eating my own time so this is really yeah. stupid but but this is a half serious question it is both both um it's not really making fun of it but I was w- wondering if one of the key questions or outcomes or or or, or issues that emerges is the importance of managing dual uh, dual sense making is that management of dual sense making than dual sense giving
3: yes uh, uh indeed it uh Managing sense making is uh, sense giving. Um, so they are trying to shape uh, the, the emerging sense uh, making of the employees. Uh, I mean, it's not only sense giving the sense, they know what uh, the sense is and they try to give it, but they it, it's sort of more a collaborative uh, process. So they also listen to what the employees say and then based on that, they try to shape it. So it's more interactive. And the other thing is, they are not only, and that would be the typical sense giving, is sort of shaping the frames, but they are also changing the action so that they fit some of the frames that are there. Yeah. So it's not a straightforward sense giving in the traditional sense. Yeah. But very good point.
0: Thank you very much, David. Thank you very much, Arrow. It is your time, Arrow. So please do put more questions to David on on that project. Sense making, sense giving, is a really central theme i think in the open strategy area hello
1: you're on um can you see the slides the way they should be is that okay
7: okay uh so um I, it's 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 a great pleasure and privilege uh, to uh, sorry oh, Harry,
2: you oh, you just don't... swap display
7: Oh, I did the stupid thing. I mean, I have three displays, so I'm totally confused as to what you can see and what not. And it's supposed to be full transparency anyway, and, and participation. So, so uh, you know, we are doing this in the spirit of um, of of open strategy. Is is, is that okay now? Oh, no, it's fine. I'm totally confused, but but thank you, thank you for helping me. I was just about to start by saying that this is really a great. Uh, great symposium so thank you Richard thank you Michael thank you Anne and others for making it happen and and I feel it's a it's a pleasure and privilege to be part of it and I'm learning a great deal also I was really impressed by the previous presentations and and I realized that that my presentation is more about some random thoughts about orchestration rather than uh you a, a presentation about one single paper on the other hand you are giving getting more so it's like two papers for one one uh at this uh, in this small uh, time that I have anyway uh I I guess one of the big questions or, or gaps, it's not really a gap, but one of the big questions in, in open strategy research is is this question of how to then manage or lead these uh, open strategy processes. I think this would be a partial answer to Callum's first question in our uh, conversation, and and I think it's not a trivial question at all, uh, considering what open strategy is supposed to be like, and to you know get, be able to dig deeper into some aspects of of this management or, or leading of these processes. I've got uh, to be really excited about uh, the, the notion of orchestration or the perspective that orchestration may provide us. I think it's one of those words that many of us, at least me, have been using quite uh, casually, not really reflecting upon what it is. But but for once, I'm trying to uh, tie that uh, with, a, with another uh, interesting uh, notion or term, which is polyphony. And I think polyphony helps us to uh, really uh, get get into some of the most important issues when it comes to participation or inclusion in open strategy. So polyphony can be seen as multiplicity of voices. And here's a musical metaphor, right? Uh, Voices and orchestration. So they go hand in hand. I think, Richard, you had like another type of metaphor in the beginning, which is more like visual opening and, and closing doors and and windows. But there's a serious, um, uh, you know, there's serious scholarship also about uh, polyphony and voices. And I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I will simply want to say that I can see at least two ways in which we can uh, dig into orchestration. And I'm going to use two ongoing research projects of mine, collaborating there with others, as examples, but this is going to be really superficial, but I hope that you get inspired or at least get something out of this. So the first one is Wikimedia. Many others, or at least some others, have been studying Wikimedia from the open strategy perspective, but I've also become one of them and now collaborating with uh, uh, Nicole Eber, who's the Global Strategy Director of, of Wikimedia. We are We are looking at orchestration in in, in, in Wikimedia's uh, last and really extensive strategy process. Here's, by the way, a commercial break. This is Wikimedia's open strategy uh, playbook, uh, openly available. If someone needs like a practical guide as to how to succeed in open strategy, work and orchestration, this is it. But from the scholarly angle, what we are getting at is trying to understand the various activities, each of which you know, kind of presented also on this slide, in particular ways enable and constrain uh, both um, uh, inclusion and then transparency. And what's of course interesting is of how they are interrelated over time. So this is one way, which I would call a very practical way of of looking at orchestration as to what it it means in terms of the kinds of activities and, and practices and their implications. But even more so, Uh, uh, I think the value of orchestration as a perspective, or if you wish, metaphor, uh, uh, becomes salient when we want to have a more critical uh, perspective on open strategy processes. And here, especially the question of control, or more specifically, top managerial control is the key issue. And here I'm drawing on um, our ongoing research on a Nordic City organization with my colleague Anina Rantakari. And I'm going to just mention a couple of things. Uh, and the first is that, you know, years of work, and I think that's what we uh, get at, which is to say that orchestration clearly both generates, but all, then also, you know, prevents or smothers polyphony and open strategy. Now, that's perhaps not a great surprise. But the point is that we're trying to get at some of the dynamics in terms of how this is happening and I think we can see a pattern in our case which could be I think, at least anal- analogous to what what could be found in other settings as well in the sense that oftentimes when we start these processes of open strategy work or open strategy type of of, of strategy processes there's a question of generation of you know of of, of polyphony in the sense that people are invited and Multi, the multiplicity of voices becomes uh, apparent. But at, at the same time when leading these processes usually usually there's a lot of control in terms of you know who gets to say what and and in which way um, in which ways the final final outcome in terms of, for instance, strategic strategy documents then reflect particular voices and others not. There's a second phase or if you want, a dynamic which is that if we then look at what's happening, In different parts of organizations i would call them translations especially in this case of ours which was about uh, uh, strategy narratives but not more about narratives this time Uh, so clearly when in different parts of organizations people you know get to reflect upon and develop their own versions of strategy there's there's more limited control typically in terms of top management orchestration and then in, in this case as in many other we also have some critical voices emerging, which could be in this um, um, literature on, on polyphony seen as genuine polyphony, almost like a carnival in, in, uh, in Mikhail Bakhtin's terms. So in this particular case, there was a quite exciting thing uh, happening. Uh, the local theater actually uh, created a satirical play, play which was you know, criticizing and making fun and in some ways, ridiculing the strategy work or the process uh, of the city organization. And then finally, it seems that this kind of a pattern of developments where where, where the initial control that is relatively tight uh, becomes less and less. So uh, it kind of invites or triggers a need to, uh, again, regain control, which typically happens by doing an update, update or starting a new strategy process. So that's it for my part. So as a, as a summary, I can see at least two ways in which we can look at orchestration. I'm sure that there are many others and I'm hopeful that this is uh, somehow inspiring or even useful. And I'm also uh, hoping that if you have any comments or 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 you know questions, but also comments for us in terms of working on these projects, that would be greatly appreciated. So I'll stop here. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Eero. That's a very direct answer to the query that somebody raised in the chat. Are there any case studies? You've given us two case studies, even more than David did. So thank you very much, Wikimedia and your mysterious Nordic city. Um, thank you very much. Um again, please do feel free to raise an electronic hand, a digital hand, if you want to ask a question of Eero. We've got some time and um I got one from David and we've of course course got the chat as well to use. David, do you want to kick us
1: off then?
3: Yeah, yeah, I was. uh, Thank you for the presentation. I was just wondering about your four phase uh, model. To what extent these are really four phases or whether these are different um, different aspects that you will have. I could imagine that, okay, uh, um, there are always phases uh, in between where you have to regain control and then you open up again and then you try to regain control. And whenever you open up, uh, you will get some genuine um, critical, uh, I don't know what you call it, sorry, I can't read it on my screen, but uh, some critical voices. Um, and so, so opening up means critical voices um, coming up. And maybe not in the next stage, but even in the same stage. And you might have multiple uh, openings and closings across the process.
7: Yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think we've been struggling with this issue for a long time. And I think we had a more sophisticated way of putting it uh, be, uh, at one uh, stage of developing the paper. Now we are in a revision process. and 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 this is coming also from the reviewers and the editor that we should simplify it a little bit but maybe it's a question of two kinds of dynamics the one is the more, more micro level dynamic which we which you are talking about that you know we could e- even in the same conversation in a room or in, in the same strategy workshop see all kinds of um, things which are similar to the ones that I'm calling faces here but we, then we can also have this, have this um, broader level longitudinal view. And then it might be that uh, these are like typically, uh, if not faces, then at least uh, things that tend to be connected to each other in the sense that when there's an opportunity to, for instance, the second one, to then go further and to reflect or using your term to make sense of the Organizational or corporate level st- strategy work then typically, you know, that happens only after the first first one. But you're right, especially the critical reflections. Typically, you know, could could happen happen anywhere.
0: Thank you very much. Herve. Now there's a little bit of debate on the chat about Michael is endorsing with enthusiasm this notion of polyphony. Violeta is asking, how's it different to this fair Violetta? To diversity, what's the added value of this polyphony concept?
7: Well, let, let me just, just say that, of course, diversity is a great great one as well. I mean, one, one way of like avoiding answering your question really is to say that these are like two different traditions and very rich traditions, by the way. But there is a particular tradition, especially when it comes to looking at narratives and if one wants to embrace such a perspective that strategy work is very much of creating strategies that are in many ways narratives then it makes a lot of sense to draw from that tradition which provides us a lot of understanding about meaning making in terms of 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 voices and polyphony and there's one trajectory in particular which I kind of advertised going or starting all the way from Mikhail Bakhtin that of course I've been infatuated with so maybe that's that that's one way but 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 in reality i think these are these are almost like metaphors or perspectives whether it's a voice or or, or whether it's an, an other other way of conceptualizing different points perspectives cognitives um frames ideas uh understandings ideologies i, I think we have a we have a lot of lot of uh, different options also what what the diversity perspective could bring in is uh, is a more natural way to critically then reflect upon for instance questions of gender inequality or 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 other other forms of inequality
0: quite quite clear that diversity and polyphony do accentuate different kinds of issues um that that's very interesting david had his hand up Um, I don't know whether he wants to pursue with a very quick question or anybody else wants to jump in. I
3: was just wondering, um, I was thinking of uh, the paper by Leonard Dobush and uh, co-authors, about how polyphony also needs to be controlled in order to have polyphony so if you let uh, things uh, emerge and go on their own you might actually have a narrowing down and not a polyphony so you might actually actively have to bring in the drums and the the tuba and whatever the the different instruments is otherwise you only hear the drums because it's uh, dominating everything else or whatever so so the question is is freedom um uh, losing control opening control creating more polyphony or might they actually do the opposite and you might have paradoxically um uh, by bringing in control you might actually bring in more voices
7: yeah i mean really quick answer great question great elaboration that's also a great paper but they have also used this metaphor of opening and closing which i like a lot and I, I think that this is exactly what's happening. I think my presentation is uh, not giving the full picture, and maybe otherwise, it may be that we are not really going beyond beyond what what, what they have, for instance, said. I think in some ways we can we are adding uh, or enriching this 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 understanding. But but I, I'm surely with you in the sense that the the most interesting questions are about these un- unanticipated or
0: paradoxical uh, implications. Thank you so much, Eric. That was truly fascinating. And it did be in different views on, on a similar phenomenon, which uh, was most uh, illuminating. We've had some conversation around incentives, and I think that Anne has been participating in that. So that's a good way of segueing into Anne's final commentary. Anne, would you like to take over for five minutes? We might have a final five minutes for roundup of questions or observations from the floor as well. Anne, over to you. Sure,
5: Sure. thank you for inviting me. Um, We've had uh, four wonderful research papers about open strategizing, and I decided to challenge myself in this commentary by tying them together in some theory of open strategy. So here goes, and trying to do that in five minutes. Um, One can view the four papers as recognizing emergence and the dynamic quality, or dynamic nature of open strategizing. As such, a theory about open strategizing should be a theory about its emergent qualities Emergence from the complex adaptive systems theory is defined as the formation of a collective phenomenon from interactions among the individual parts, such as ant colonies is the collective uh, phenomenon from interaction among ants, or online communities is the collective phenomenon from interactions among posts. So to say that open strategizing is emergent means it is a multi-level phenomenon and should be studied as a multi-level phenomenon. And it um and and that the collective open strategy that gets developed occurs as a result of dynamic and unfolding interactions at the sub-collective level. Therefore, we need to be studying those interactions and explore how those interactions eventually lead to an emergent open strategy and emergent meaning a continuously evolving open strategy. So how do we study dynamic unfolding interactions? Well, primarily, we have to decide which interactions we want to focus on, since uh, the focus of the interactions become one's theory of open strategy. So, um, so let me uh, just give you some examples of, of what I would call um, ways of thinking about um, a, a, of thinking about theorizing emergence. So here's an example of a, a theory that Michael Zagel, Arvind Malhotra, and I have in AMD uh, Academy of Management Discovery which talks about crowd sourcing of emergent innovative solutions. And so what happens is, yeah, the reason why this is a theory of emergence is because you have an initial question or problem statement like that's um, that can be a strategic one. And then uh, people begin to post by making suggestions and the suggestions can be composed of um, arbitrarily of uh, let's say several elements. And then uh, somebody else posts the uh, suggestions. And then what we find is there's a trigger event. Uh, somebody else posts a paradox, meaning uh, different objectives can't be achieved simultaneously. And then uh, somebody um, uh, tries to resolve that paradox with this suggestion, with further suggestions. And then it iterates around and round and round until until somebody is able to build on one of these suggestions and, uh, and, then, uh, and then it becomes a collective solution. So that's what, we, what is meant by examining sort of emergence uh, or developing a theory of emergence. And so in open strategy, we might wanna think about emergence as um, looking at interactions between participation process rules, and diversity of the perspectives shared. So you've got the diversity of perspectives, You've got participation process rules. You've got, um, when, when the diversity and the process rules are shared, there's likely to be conflicts, uh, um, among the diversity, di- di- diversity of perspectives as well as with the participation process rules. And, um, and then, and then you, uh, try and in- initiate changes in both the process rules and the diversity perspectives. And this goes round and round and round until a trigger event happens where you finally uh, take a snapshot of those diverse perspectives at the moment and call it quote unquote, formulated strategy. So um, another possible theory could be uh, again influenced by the um, for speakers. What uh, may be the different roles that might be played by different actors in the um, in, in an open strategy activity, and that you'll have your fact contributors, your integrator, your problem redefiners the sponsors, people who question each other, um, creativity generators, uh, people who actually solution generators, um, what um, what was called professional strategists, the human resource managers. And so these all, so one would study uh, in an emergent manner um, how how these interactions emerge, um, what emerges from these interactions. And um, and some of that, of course, is some role redefinitions, but uh, also most importantly, how the strategy itself gets um, renegotiated and how these inputs get renegotiated. So then finally, um, in trying to uh, create a potential process theory of open strategizing across these four student uh, four studies that we've heard, um, I thought about how we would have people, Um, In in our theorizing, we'd have participants uh, uh, playing different, um, engaging in different kinds of information sharing. Some of them might be the idealists uh, or realists that uh, one of the speakers pointed out. Others might be consumers or people with actual personal experience with some of the products or some of the industry sectors, whatever. And all of these inputs are going to create some disconnects. Um, a term used by by a speaker about um, between these inputs, and uh, and then from a participation participation process standpoint, by an- another speaker, the corporate management expectations about how the participation process should unfold. So that's going to influence the degree to which these d- disconnects surface, and uh, and then. And then we have power imbalances that are going to be there to reduce disconnects or make them even worse. So you might have the power imbalance between what we refer to as strategy, professional strategists and non-professional strategists or other kinds of uh, roles. And all of this is going to, as, as these uh, disconnects arise and people in, uh, are engaged in attempting to resolve them, we're going to see some increasing psychological ownership brought on by another speaker, which creates um, a, a, a strategy version X. And then this this iterate will continue to iterate again in an emergent way uh, until someone, usually corporate management, arbitrarily decides okay. to end the engagement um, and say that um, this, is, uh, this is it for the strategy making. So, um, so I just want to, uh, in sum, suggest that all four speakers are, are talking, um, are, are, are recommending a very emergent approach to our strategizing and, more importantly, to our theorizing about open strategy, and I find that very exciting. So, on that note, I will turn that back over to Richard to finish up.
0: Thank you so much, Anne. That was a masterful synthesis of what apparently were quite diverse uh, set of presentations, ranging from case studies to uh, simulations and experiments. So very wonderful. And you managed to complete the circle. We started with Martin talking about roles and you brought us back to roles right at the end. So we have uh, a wonderful um, closure to our discussion so far. Plenty of applause coming through. We do have time for a couple more questions, or indeed we can continue with the chat. Who would like to ask a a final one or two questions, please? Just put up a digital
1: hand if you wish to. Who have we got? Are we all shy again? Anybody? Anybody want to put up something? Are we all exhausted?
4: Yeah, Michael. I'll just do this. uh, uh, I think this was wonderful. So thank you, Richard and all the speakers. Just, I'm curious about how uh, this process view might help us bridge uh, work to, you know, content-based strategy, for instance. So one of the things we're trying to do, Richard's member of the EC for STR, is find a way to bridge across This perhaps increasingly fragmented field we call strategic management. So do do people have ideas of how maybe you could link to strategic choices or strategic decisions or suggest when different forms of open strategy are more or less uh, likely to be chosen or successful? And I say this mostly as an invitation. I don't expect an answer. I, I think that's a lovely invitation. Rich. Yeah, it's a
1: lovely and, and a challenging one. I've got a view, but has anybody else got one? Richard, share
0: your view, please. I will. Yeah, I'm supposed to be just chairing this. And no, 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 no. Faces. We want to hear it. Mm-hmm. But so, so my sense is that actually, Anne, you know, it's good that you're here because um, there are content parts of strategy. open innovation is innovation is a content part of strategy. And if you like, open strategy originated from the open innovation idea, okay? Mm-hmm. But you've also had people talk about open strategy with regard to Duncan Angwin, Bashak Yakis Douglas, with regard to mergers and acquisitions. And Aero, of course, is an expert in the MA area. Mm-hmm. So there are particular fields where different forms of open strategy might be appropriate. I think uh, Julia is probably somebody who's done the most uh, comprehensive book, practitioner-orientated book on strat- open strategy. She might have a view. I'm putting you on the spot, Julia, if you're still here. Um, but I, I think we can link that. And open innovation is, as it were, the prototype, the model for doing that um, link between the process and content sides of strategy. That Michael rightly is throwing as a gauntlet our challenge that we should try and pick up. Julia, does anyone have, do you have a view or does anybody else want a view? Stick up a hand by all means.
6: Uh, Just briefly add to this. Yes, I think definitely there are different ways. And I think that's the, the beauty of open strategy that it's not just one approach or one thing that we have to do, but many, many different approaches. Um, which we just begin to understand when they are appropriate, when they help us in which situations, when they help us with different questions that might be posed and, and therefore require different approaches to what has been discussed also in the chat in terms of how we handle it. Um, but definitely also how we use those different approaches in different in terms of different content questions, in terms of different problems that we approach with it. So um, how we can combine different types of processes with those different content questions that Michael has mentioned. I think that's the interesting part to see how we can link those things in the best beneficial way.
0: Thank you, Julia, for helping me out. <laughs> Better answer than mine. Um, so that's great. Um, I think we're approaching the end of it, If We haven't. Let me round up things by first of all thanking the strategy division for this opportunity this is a great opportunity to bring different communities together thank you all to the panelists of course and to Anne for such a clever synthesis of four disparate presentations at the end thank you to the participants for raising some really interesting questions the two i'm going to take away I'm going to highlight, and know, as, as it were, good responses to Callum's question at the beginning. Incentives, I haven't thought about before. And then the enduring question of what counts as strategic as well. I think we, we, we should do more research on the incentives and we should do more definition on what counts as strategy, strategic. Those are two of the things I picked up from the chat and from the questions. There's many other issues as well. Thank you, everybody. Wonderful session. I think I should probably let your day get on and Anne and others of you have your dinner and whatever time zone you're in,
1: um, enjoy whatever's coming next. Thank you very much, everybody.